Hey guys, this is Mike Kyoto, and you're watching the Insiders Podcast. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. John, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is so great to be with you all here tonight, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. There's not many opportunities that you have in life to be able to speak to somebody who is the best in their field. You want to talk about something like basketball? That would be Michael Jordan. You want to talk about acting? That might be like a Marlon Brando. You want to talk about being absolutely drop-dead gorgeous and stealing my heart forever, you might be thinking of Tori Wilson. Here tonight, I have the opportunity to speak to, without a doubt, one of the, and if not the, greatest referee in the history of the wrestling business. He is the one, the only, the incomparable Mike Kyoto. How are you, my friend? My man, Carl, I love that opening introductory. What's up, Australia? How you doing, brother? How's everything? <laughs> I'm good, bro. You're like a million dollars, man. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I do it every time. It sends everyone man. floating into the interviews on cloud nine. Thanks it's, for uh, having me on the show, brother. Yeah, I miss Australia, man. Love Australia. We miss you too, Mike. And, uh, you know, it's, this is a thrill for me because... I'll get into it in a minute, but it's, this is a thrill for me to have the opportunity to talk with you tonight and uh, or today for you as well. But the first question, usually on every show, Mike, is how did you become a wrestling fan before you got into the business, if you were a fan? Um, I was I was more of a baseball fan, you know, growing up when I was a kid because I played baseball and played soccer for eight years, you know, European football, um, uh, did a lot of sports and you know, on, on top of that, um, man, I'm right there with you, brother, on that. <laughs> but um, anyway, you know, growing up in a business, I grew up with Gorilla Monsoon out of New Jersey. So growing up in South Jersey, outside of Philadelphia, in between New York City, um, Gorilla Monsoon was five minutes from me. I grew up with Joey Morella. And uh, we used to do wrestling when I was 15. I used to set the rings up in the summertime and do all that other stuff and make good money. And... Um, I mean, I had four cars by the time I was 17. And I was working for Monsoon when he used to own the territory from uh, Vince Senior. So, and he used to run Philadelphia, the Shore, Jersey Shore, um, all the uh, New York and a lot of the East Coast area. So, and then I went, my father got sick when I was 17, took a master stroke and, and I got back into it. So, I mean, you know, Hulk Hogan was definitely uh, inspired me watching wrestling when I was a kid growing up and stuff. And, uh, you know, I got to say, like, when, you know, when I started full-time in 85, 86, you know, it just, he was a big inspire, man. He was just, he was phenomenal. Like, growing up in a business and seeing the way Hulk Hogan just grasped the children and the kids, and he was like the American hero, you know? <laughs> he was <a> real American. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, and I got back into it and loved to travel, you know, and then started loving the traveling, and it was dedication, took a lot of hard work, Tony, Jimmel, and I, you know, we were a ring crew out of New Jersey, and we were like one of the best ring crews in the um, WWF at the time, and this is when Titan Sports was, you know, just starting out, Titan Sports, 
as the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. So uh, we were the most dependent uh, ring crew on the uh, road there because I became a referee, driving the trucks, setting up the rings. Tony Chimmel became a ring announcer. And, uh, you know, Howard Finkel kind of passed the torch on uh, Tony Chimmel. And, uh, and after that, Tony Chimmel passed the torch on to um, uh, the beautiful one. Um, what was her name? <laughs> Lillian. Lillian. Jesus. So, <laughs> over for many years and Justin Roberts. But anyway, we were like one of the best ring crews. And that's how I, you know, I got into the business with Gorilla Monsoon. I grew up with Joey and his sister, Valerie Morella. So. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I During my research, I, this is what, obviously I found this out that um, you're very close with the Morella family. Uh, haven't had the opportunity to speak to anybody who knew them, um, you know, and obviously Gorilla Monsoon is one of the all time yes. greatest uh, voices in wrestling and, and human beings, as far as I've heard in other interviews. But yeah. please tell me about your fondest memories of, of both Joey and Gorilla. Well, Joey, um, growing up, we both played baseball. We had a lot in common there. We were good. I was a good shortstop. He was an excellent pitcher. Um, we just grew up. We hung out all the time. We, we partied together. We, when I started working in the wrestling business, we traveled together. Had unbelievable amount of stories to tell you there. It's just it would take another old couple of hours to tell you some stories <laughs> there. Um, and Joey had a lot in common. Sports cars, good-looking women. <laughs> drinking, hanging out, baseball, sports. Um, and then Gorilla Monsoon, he always gave me um, a lot of words of wisdom. It's like Chief Jay Strombo made me a referee. And he talked to Gorilla. And then they you know, decided that Joey would help me. Joey would train me. And then a lot of old school wrestlers trained me back in the day. Barry Horowitz helped to Steve Lombardi, to Greg DeHammer Valentine, to uh, Paul Roma, her, I mean, just the guys on down the road, just growing up in the business, you know, just, and it was great because I, I learned from the best, like from all the old school, you know, so that was that, you know, you couldn't have gone to any better school, like yeah. they have a peace center in Orlando. Well, yeah, it'll take you a good three, four years to maybe come out of that school, but you know, you learn quick when you're thrown into the wolves with a lot of old school talent, the way they want things done. And, um, Gorilla, you know, always taught me, like, uh, he said, look, you know, I wanted to be a wrestler, kind of. Oh, my God, I wanted to do this. And he goes, look, longevity in this business, like I tell my son, is refereeing. So, and he goes, the longevity, you can have a good run as a wrestler for five, ten years, maybe five years, ten years. There's very few guys that have a 20-year run. And, and that's it. But the longevity is refereeing. Look at Dick Worley. Look at this one. Look at, you know, Joey's going to, you know, God bless, you know, he passed away in a car wreck. But, um, and he was right. I mean, and, and always told me never to stooge on the boys. <laughs> he always said, don't be a stooge, do your job. Because if you have to stooge to enhance your position where you're further yourself in the company, then you need to find another job because you're not doing your job right. So the words of wisdom from Gorilla and, and especially from my father back in the day, totally a big, big mentor thing for me. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of uh, tenure, yeah. 31 years in the WWE. This is why this is such a rare. Years. Yeah, I was 35, 35 years. Right. Yeah, I started refereeing like when I was 33, right. like 33 years ago. And then it took me two years to get on TV, on the television. Right, okay. And all that other stuff. So you had to pay your dues and work live events and make sure you were ready for TV. And when they thought you were ready for TV, 
I debuted in 89. So that's where I get the 31 years. Right. Wow. So it's, it's even more than that. Then it's, <laughs> this is, so this is incredible because it's, so this I'm is a rare world interview. World. <laughs> it's hard to, uh, you know, have the opportunity to speak to somebody who was there for so many important periods of time in the wrestling business. So, I mean, I'm sure you and I could crack open a few beers and probably spend 12 hours gas bagging yeah. about wrestling in your career. I'm joining with that red wine and a little pop. Sounds good, bro. But uh, yeah, I, I was... <laughs> I was thinking, where do I begin with this? You know, and, and I wanted to start kind of at the end of your tenure because you used to this routine for over 30 years. This is, right. you know, you're used to the same thing week in, week out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. How has it been adjusting to not being out there on that crazy schedule? Because the just the stimulus of, of, of you're always working and thinking about what you've got to do that day. Right. Now all of a sudden you have to, you're, you're chilling out a bit more. Oh, how, yeah, it is. how do you adjust to that? It, it can, it's hard. It's hard to adjust to that, man. I mean, dreams come through all the time when you're sleeping. It's just like on the road and it's just a different lifestyle. Like I always said to myself, I don't think I could ever work a nine to five job, you know, get up at eight, go to work at nine because for so many years I did this, you know, like I was traveling and just on the go every morning flights, whatever you're doing, your shows, getting in late, getting up early, um, always in a different city every day. You know, when we're in Australia, we did a different city every day in Australia, you know, Melbourne, this, that, Perth, Adelaide, um, you know, so many little towns. And then we go up the coast and we come back and do Sydney, you know, or, and I remember 2002 when we kicked off that Australia tour. That was that was that big show in Melbourne. Oh, man. What a week. <laughs> yeah. Partying going on there before that show. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just, it's, it was a total adjustment, especially with the COVID. You know, so the COVID, you know, thank God T Tampa wasn't on lockdown totally. Florida wasn't. So we were able to at least go out to eat and stuff outside and do things you know, stay on the beach, get on the beach and do things and stuff like that. A lot of beautiful beaches here in Florida. So, um, but just, uh, just not traveling like I used to, but now, they, you know, the whole company just shut down and they were mm. just having their shows out of Orlando. And with the AEW, they're having their shows out of Jacksonville, but now everybody's starting to pick up and starting to travel again. But uh, I think I'm going to get real jealous when they're starting to travel and I'm not traveling as much. So we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just thought to myself, man, you know, every day you're having constant conversations with people. You're surrounded by people all the time, talking right. to people. And right. now you're at home and you're uh, talking to me. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it was definitely a change. But you know what? I, you know, I said to my wife, I said, uh, you know, it, it is actually good to kind of be a normal person for a year. You know, it was it's actually nice. And I said, you know, I'm going to take this year and just kind of relax. And I did, I've been doing a, lot, a bunch of podcasts and so forth. And um, we've been doing a little bit of traveling here and there, me and my wife. And, you know, so I, I it was just nice to be like a normal person for a year and just not be on the go so crazy all the time. So it was actually out of 35 years of traveling. It wasn't too bad to take this year and just kind of 
be grasp and actually enjoy a home that you live in for a while, you know? <laughs> so. Absolutely, sir. And you, you've earned it. You've earned the break. Oh, <laughs> um, I wanted to kind of uh, seg into a completely different kind of question here. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, for the, for the layman out there who thinks that, you know, to, to be a referee, all you got to do is, you know, you got to, you know, count to three or count people out or ask for, a, they want to submit. What are the common misconceptions about referees for the layman out there? Can you, can you tell us uh, about a typical week on the road in the WWE for somebody like you and all the range of duties and everything that you have to take into account with your job as a referee in the company? Right. With um, refereeing, most referees, like I did 22 years of ring crew and refereeing pretty much. So, I mean, in the mornings, you'd get up early in the morning, get in that truck, start going to the next town, or you'd be in the next town from the night before, set up the arena by noon. You know, it could get there about noon, set it up for a couple hours, get everything sorted out. And then you'd go to dinner or something like that, come back and then get ready for the show. Um, play cards during the day in, in the locker room with some of the boys. You know, John Cena was a big guy to play cards. We, we used to play cards way back in the day. Andre used to play cards. Arnie Skolin got me to play cards, all the old school timers. And Gorilla Monsoon was a big gym. You know, they all played gin. Yeah. Rummy. <laughs> so um, cards were a big thing. And you always gambled and stuff like that. So made a little money on the side, but, um, you know, it was, it was a long day. So you'd set up, you do the show, Tony Chimmel would ring announce. I would referee during the matches. We would, you know, in the beginning we would take robes when we weren't refereeing the match, take the robes, do this, make sure the music's playing in the back, make sure everything's going, you know, and when we were doing a lot of live events, this is how like, this is how the company, we were playing music from a boom box and just putting a microphone to it. That's what. That's how we play mu music. Wow! Really? <laughs> to see it now, to where it's got to, and where it's at now with the staging and everything like that, is phenomenal. It's unbelievable. So, and you know, and, and Tony and I, we talk about it, and uh, you know, of course, they let him go as well. He was there thirty-eight years. Wow! And, you know, we talk about it. And we we feel like we're a big part of that. Big part of that growing in three and a half decades. You know, so. Absolutely. So we, we feel good about it. And it was a great run. Great run with the company. Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you for your insight there. Uh, and, and look, I'm just going to say, I, I've got like, I'm not following some sort of timeline here of events. I'm just throwing different random questions out at yeah. you in this interview. Yeah. Uh, keep you on your toes a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I don't... <clears throat> I've seen a couple of interviews with you and I don't believe anybody has brought this up with you. So I was interested to know your thoughts. Uh, what were your memories of the WCW buyout and having the WCW referees come on over? Because I know when I interviewed Chuck Palumbo uh, last week, he said that a lot of the wrestlers weren't welcomed with open arms and they had a bit of a hard time. Uh, how was the situation for the referees coming in? Were you guys all cool straight away? Were there any butting of heads? Oh, there was, there was like Charles Robinson was great. You know, Nick Patch, you know, they were cool. You know, I mean, we were just glad we didn't have to go down to WCW and work for them if they were going to give us a job because Nitro was kicking our ass in the, in the ratings for the longest time. So, and we were thinking, holy shit, are we going to be without a job and who's going to take 
who over there and I'm going to work for the Southern boys. And, you know, <laughs> and it's just, uh, it's, it was just like uh, Ted Turner and all that. And I'm like, we may not even have a job. So it was good to have Charles and Nick Patrick and, you know, and, and along the way, I mean, God, uh, one of my most memorable uh, moments of Nick Patrick wasn't there was uh, uh, tagging up with Y2J, The Rock, yeah. and then uh, on the six-man tag with the Dudleys and uh, Nick Patrick. You know, Nick Patrick did the job for me, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a tremendous moment, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, and as a referee, like, I, there's not too many referees that get to do that kind, you know, like that kind of a match. And then if you look at, if you look at The Rock from when I did that match, you know, with, with Jericho, and look where The Rock is right now in Hollywood 20 <laughs> years later, look where Y2J is 20 years later. You know, when Y2J was main event at WrestleMania 2002 in Toronto Skydome with Rock and Hogan. Yeah. You know, that's the famous shirt right there from Rock and Hogan's match with uh, Amazing. Rock signed it, Hogan signed it. You know? <laughs> Yeah, cool, man. I, I wanted, I was going to bring it up later, but now that you've brought up that six-man tag team match, uh, yourself, Jericho, The Rock against the Dudleys and Nick Patrick. Yeah. Um, I watched it. I watched it earlier. I've seen it a couple of times, but I watched it earlier. And uh, when you came in, like a house of fire, <laughs> down some fantastic working punches. I have to say, I was very. Oh God, that was uh, fucking. Stressed if I was gonna screw that all up. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I, I loved Bubba Dudley coming in with that clothesline. Oh, and there's a story. If you if you were, if you notice, I'm holding my shoulder for the longest time, right? Yeah. He tells me earlier that day he was Kyoto. He goes, if you don't sell that fucking clothesline, I'm gonna fucking get your ass, man. He goes, You better sell that clothesline, you know? So I'm like, <laughs> Of course, man, what the fuck? He goes, you got to remember, you're a referee, so you got to sell it, you know? And I'm like, hell yeah, bro, I will. You know, he ripped my head off with that clothesline. I had, I had no choice, man. <laughs> so I'm selling it through the whole freaking way back. I'm selling it up there. I'm selling it while I'm doing everything. I'm selling it across the ropes. And he comes back, he goes, Jesus Christ, Gary, you fucking oversold that clothesline. Are you kidding me? I'm like, I sold it all the way back for you. I'm like... <laughs> So it was a big laugh about that, but um, yeah, that's why I kept selling and selling and selling. I was worried about Bubba getting hot, not selling that clothesline, but <laughs> yeah, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. Great experience, dude. Absolutely. It's, it's not often that, you know, a referee get to, gets to be center stage and gets to be uh, put in a moment like that. So it's really cool for you. And uh, I know El Hebner got to have some moments like that as well. Yep. Um, so it, it's just, it's a very rare thing. Um I wanted to bring it back to the invasion angle. Uh, yeah. And I just, I usually just, I usually ask everyone who was in the company at the time, their thoughts on how the company handled the angle and, and, and what we, what we got on TV obviously wasn't for me, I was a little disappointed, but from your point of view, how did you think that it all went? The invasion went great, you know, like uh, in the invasion on WCW, right? You're talking? I'm talking like the um the, the alliance WCW and ECW in WWF, you know, that oh, whole thing. Merging? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There was there was some uh there was some headbutts, you know. I mean, there were some things where R V D didn't want to do the job for this one at ECW and you know, Paulie was trying to protect his crew, mm. you know, he had every right to, you know, and 
I remember it was pretty cool. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it because I didn't have to job out to nobody. So, <laughs> you know, if anything, I'm I'm deciding to match, you know, one, two, three, and I'm just I'm just a referee. So <laughs> it was like, you know, I wasn't gonna look up at the line. So it wasn't, but you know, yeah, you you've seen some some headbutts during the invasion where, you know, whether oh, you're not gonna put my top guy, you know, you're not gonna job my top guy over, you know, out. You're going to yeah. put this guy, this guy, and or you know this and this, and a lot of guys didn't want a job out back in those days. The wrestlers had more say to it. Then mm. you know, it's it, it, they really don't have too much say. You know, it's either you do the job or you don't get your paycheck. It's the bottom line, pretty much. Yeah. So uh, things have changed now. <laughs> yeah, it's changed. It's changed. But a lot of guys used to definitely, you know, and I mean, of course you know, coming from that statement for me, you know, of course, and you're going to look at the Brett and Sean Michael screw job, mm. you know, trying to protect himself. He didn't want to do the job for Sean. He would have down the road, but Sean wasn't working with him prior to that. Yeah. You know? So, and, and then they wanted a job out in Montreal and stuff like that. And Brett didn't like the way the business was going either as way, as far as with DX, you know, and for kids and stuff like that. So yeah. he's a very big family man, had a lot of kids at the time. And but um, you know, there was definitely, you know, there was definitely a lot of um um anger sometimes when you know they'd say back in the day, oh, you got a job out for this one. I mean, if you if you listen to the whole Kogan and Andre stories, you know, was Andre gonna let me slam him? Was Andre <laughs> gonna let me really do the job for him? Yeah. I don't know, you know. So um, you know, it's passing that torch is a big thing, you know. Like when Andre passed the torch to Hulk, Hulk passed the torch to Rock. Rock took the fucking torch and took it to Hollywood. Pretty much right after that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he left us dry. And, uh, so I mean, you know, and then Cena took over. But then when Cena took over and carried the business for ten years, you had fucking Rock come back and beat him in the first match of WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> You don't think Cena was a little butthurt on that? I can imagine he would be, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and then I, I think you had to get it in writing. Okay, next time at WrestleMania, I'm going over, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, the, you know, he gave her, Rock gave her the seat back to him, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, my next question, Mike, was uh, what are the qualities a great referee needs to have uh, in order to be a great referee, to be the next Mike Kyoto, what do you need to be, and, and what qualities do they need to have? You have to you have to get that experience in, and you have to get thrown into the wolves and get the experience in. You have to, um, and actually, like my thing was always going to the talent and saying for, to a heel, how how do you want me to work with you, and how do you want to work with me? Like as far as when you do your heel stuff and when you're cheating and when you're doing this and. You know, I can give you time in a corner and, you know, I won't count to five, like right away, you know, I won't go one, two, three, four, five, you know, like I'll try and get him out. I'll try and get him out, build up the intensity, you know, disrespect the ref. And then the ref gets a little hotter. The ref shouldn't be hot right away. Um, there's just a lot of things where then you go to the baby face and he has the baby face. Hey, how would you like me to work You know, with this? And how do you, you should get both men's perspective. And if it's a tag team, you get everybody's input on how you, that's the best way you can go about it, you know, and, um, and learn and listen, learn and watch, you know, other referees and stuff like that. You know, 
I mean, there's a lot of referees that come in and a lot of them don't even ask questions or don't even ask like certain things. And they think they know it all. So it's like, Hey, you go, you go, man, you know, like, you know, um, but you know, it is what it is. And it just takes time. I think it takes time for referee to really experience is the most part, you know, it just, just like a wrestler, like very few wrestlers came in this business and grasped, grasped the professional wrestling industry. You know, I'd say Kurt Angle, he took it mm, quick. Yeah. Uh, other guys just took it quick. You, you can tell, like The Rock, when he came in, you know, it took him a little bit, boom. But he got it quick. You know, he was quick in and quick out, The Rock, mm. you know. When he started doing Hollywood after 2002, three, you know. So, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's it's experience. That's what it is. And it's, it's just the same thing for a referee. There's going to be very few referees that be able to come in and just grab, you know, get control of this business and what they're doing. And then some are going to take a lot longer. Absolutely. And when you're talking about that, it reminds me of something Chris Jericho once said that uh, he thought that he got it. He thought he, but then he, he took a break from the company and he came back right. And it was only then, I don't know what year it was, maybe 2006 or seven or something like that, whatever year it was, then he was like, oh, wait a minute. I just got it. I thought I already knew it for the last 15 yeah. years. I just yeah, got right. it now. It's that's that's true, crazy, right? isn't it? <laughs> that's, I'll tell you one thing. Chris is a very smart man in this industry, you know, and well, look at all he does is Fozzie and he's doing this. And now he's on top with AEW. He's amazing at his age. And, um, you know, like in 2002, I remember him running around in Sky Dome in Toronto. You know, he's from Canada. He's going, we shouldn't be the main event in this, on this night. Yeah. We should not be the main event. He knew it. You know? So um, I remember him always turpid about that. And he, he was right about that. So he knew something in 2002. <laughs> going to be hard to follow that one. And that's what I was actually going to bring up next was... Uh... You know, you had the best seat in the house for yeah. so many amazing matches. And again, if I went through all of them, we'd be here for a long time. But Hogan versus The Rock, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the greatest pro wrestling matches I've ever seen. Um, I loved every second of it. You got to be the referee for that one. I'm, I'm sure you've shared the story before on other shows, but um, I would love to hear your your side of the story for yeah. Hogan Rock WrestleMania 18 match. Well, shoot, Toronto Sky Dome, that's the shirt right there. Yeah. Rock and Hogan signed it. Um, I never marked out too many times for so many matches, you know, and I have marked out for a lot of matches. Believe me, I've done so with Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Triple H, and so many other matches. And, this match was, you know, it had a lot of expectation to it, whether they were going to nail it or not. So in the company's perspective, they must have not thought they were going to nail it because they put them on second to last or third to last. I believe it was third to last. Um, so in my perspective, the company, you know, looking back at it, didn't think mm, this match is not really going to hit off, you know what I mean? But it wasn't going to be a high flying match. You know, it was icon against icon. All the years Hogan put in, and then with the NWO, when he came out on that entrance, that pop was just phenomenal. It was so phenomenal. I marked out, you know, when you're sitting there on the face-off, and I'm sitting there like this, and I mean, <laughs> and I, 
And I was 30, I was 30 some years old at the time, you know, and I looked like a young kid, like, oh, <laughs> I was just like, because all the matches I've gone through at Rock and all the matches I've gone through at Hogan and all the years traveling with Hogan and him being on top, here was the two icons right here, like, you know, at that time. And um, I had chills. I had chills. It was it was fucking amazing. To be honest with you, it was absolutely amazing. And um, sitting there just listening to that crowd and going, holy shit, we had him on the entrance. And then the face-off. And then the shove-off. And then this. And then the big pops. They, they were just going nuts. I was like, holy shit, this is easy. you know. And then I just had to worry about my bump. When I took a bump that spot when I was outside the ring and I come sliding back in the timing was perfect when rock was coming to hit the ropes because he had to run into me knock me out yeah so and then that went perfect and uh but during that whole match it was just chills and you know it was like i almost forgot some of the spots because i was just marking out to the crowd and how they were reacting <laughs> it was crazy yeah it was crazy <laughs> i mean and I've done so many other technical matches and wrestling and great other matches and stuff like that. And believe me, they've got some great pops and great cheers. But this was just that Toronto Sky Dome made it that night. The Canadian fans, they were they were strong that night. And a lot of European fans, because a lot of European fans do travel to places to wrestle. Of course. Yeah, it's like it didn't matter what Hogan did. If it was the smallest thing, they went ballistic. It was just never seen anything like that in my life. Uh. <laughs> he comes out NWO at his age. He's in great shape at the time. You know, he was in phenomenal shape for his age. And I mean, it was just believable, man. And just like he actually thought maybe, holy shit, Hogan's going to go over here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, I thought I was gonna get the buzz. Hey, put Hogan over instead. <laughs> oh but. gosh! Um, another match. I in my research, I do believe you were the referee for this one. Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin oh, at WrestleMania 14. I know there's a lot of turmoil going on behind the scenes with Shawn at the time. Um, Sean wasn't talking to Vince. Uh, you know, right. if, if Sean and Vince uh, were going to talk, it had to be a middleman in between. Uh, yeah, how, how difficult was this back. one for you? Yeah, lower back issues too, Sean, at that time. Yeah, right? yeah. Real bad back issues. Um, you know, it was it was really cool because he had Mike Tyson as the enforcer, you know. Mm. But Mike Tyson was the enforcer. And I remember meeting him one night in a rehearsal, you know, like it was like the night, night before WrestleMania, it was Saturday night or Friday night, we met two nights before. And we're just gonna, you know, they wanted to teach him how to count and do that, just whatever, you know, and we were just going over stuff in a match and he comes up and he's like, hey, Mike Kyoto. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, you know my name? I'm like, hey, Mike, I'm like, I know your name. He's like, man, I'm a big fan of yours, man. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you watch wrestling that much? He's like, I love wrestling. And I'm thinking, holy shit, this guy knows my name. <laughs> so it was cool, man. He was he was really respectable working with Mike Tyson and everything. And um, you know, and that build up to the whole thing was really cool, you know. So I mean, um, really cool, man. Just um doing that match and Stone Cold Steve Austin is one of the best guys in the business. It's, it's, there's two icons right there, you know, Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels, man. I mean, yeah. Imagine. I remember when Sean, you know, Sean came in with 
with Marty Jannetty's, the Rockers. Yeah. And they came from Southern group down, you know, down South and uh, as a tag team. And, you know, I remember them guys and they were, they were great as a tag team. That's one thing I'd like to see is young bucks against the Rockers. <laughs> <laughs> but, Absolutely. So, well, Boston, that match was phenomenal. The Boston Garden, it took over for Earl Hebner. He had got sick. Yeah. And put me in that spot, which was great. You know, like, Hey, if Earl wasn't going to do it, they had me, you know, coming in to do the job. So, and everything worked out great. So, I mean, it was just, uh, the Boston garden was a phenomenal place to work in. Mm. Uh, Stone cold, a uh, phenomenal guy. And look what he's done in the business for us, man. It was just, it was just, it was a whole bunch of clicks, man. That's why that whole late nineties, early two thousands was like one of the best eras, the attitude era and all it was magic. It was definitely magic. Uh, I'm only going to bring up one more match because I thought that this would be an intriguing subject. I believe you refereed uh, Armageddon. Uh, it was Vince McMahon versus Triple H. Um, I just want to know what it was like being the referee for a Vince McMahon match because uh, that, I don't know. I just thought maybe it might be. Uh, it's weird. A little difficult because you just you're just making sure the boss is okay in there, you know. Yeah, and you know the son-in-law is not going to beat up. You know, he's going to take care of him in there too as well. <laughs> you're worried about his well-being, um, and but Vince had a lot of spunk even at his age in great shape. He's in, you know, keeps himself in great shape for throughout all these years. And um, you just want it's, it's kind of difficult because you know Vince is not the wrestler at all. You know, and, you know, but you have, you have the game in there, Triple H, he, you know, he's the ring leader. Yeah. So, you know, he makes that work for Vince in a match, that's for sure, you know. And I'm there just to pass on cues or pass on spots and and so <laughs> forth, you know, spots, time cues or whatever Triple H is calling, you know. Yeah. And whatever Vince is calling. So, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a little different. It's definitely a different situation when you have yeah. the boss in it. You know, and you you went on. You don't want to fuck up when the boss is in there either. So, <laughs> in there, there's two pro. I mean, and really, you know, Vince is not the professional wrestler. You know, he's the professional businessman, and and God, can he cut a promo? But wrestling wasn't his thing. You know, that's for sure. You know, it changed him, not his thing. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I would slur. I think Vince did very good considering, you know, he's not, he's not an athlete. He, he's easy. He's, he's very well built and all that. But, yeah. you know, when he's, I think, I don't know who was one that said it, if it was Triple H or someone talking about his coordination. I yes. kind of liken it to like uh, when, you're, when you're driving a van and you've got your dog trying to stand up in the back of the family van. It's kind of how Vince is when he's in the ring. Yeah, sitting in the steering wheel with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was the coordination thing too, definitely. Yeah. Um, so you, you, know, probably, a... you probably want to see Shane and Triple H in a WrestleMania match. That'd be a pretty good match. <laughs> I think that's that's one that still needs to happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so as I said earlier, best seat in the house for so many huge matches and moments in wrestling history. You did speak about Hulk. <clears throat> excuse me, Hogan and Rock, but was there ever a spot or moment that in particular blew your mind the most being able to witness right in front of you? On that match? Just any, any, rock. anything other than the Rock and Hogan. Um, 
you know, it kind of blew my mind was the the match with Big Show and uh, Brock Lesnar. Oh. Um, when we did that that ring collapse, right? Yeah, that, that kind of blew because yeah, I never did a match where the ring exploded, you know, <laughs> and just crumbled down and like everything was like on my. They they said like these guys are going to be selling after they take the bump. You're going to have to be sitting on your ass. You got to sell that shit just right. You know, you got to sell with your facials. You got to look around like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, oh, you're putting all this shit on me? On the finish of this match? You know, the finish of this show? (laughs) So, you know, with me, um, actually here, there's a, hold on one sec. There's a uh, little shot here. You can see this sort of too, too bright. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, card, but uh, you know, and I'm just I'm kind of just sitting up there, like, what the hell, looking around, and then next thing you know, the crowd was just like in a holy shit mode, you know, the holy shit chant, and you know, they and they they popped, they they bought it, you know, they bought the whole thing. So, it, and then I come back and they're like, great job, great job. I'm like, I didn't even referee a match. It was just looking around. I'm like. You know? <laughs> So I did my job in my part, but there's a lot of other uh, matches um, in my career that, you know, you, you sat there and just went, holy shit. Um, there's, you know, like a, a lot of matches I look back at uh, working with Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio and, and Undertaker, you know, and that's one match with The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, like Charles had that match. And like right. you know, questions sometimes, is there any matches that you wish you had? And, you know, I, I said, I said, yeah, that one, the first one with Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, wish I had that match as well. But Carl, I mean, Charles did a great job in that match. And, you know, love Charles, talked to him a lot. Great guy, great referee too as well. Absolutely, and, yeah. Uh, so I, yeah I, I have to say that was one match I sat back and went, shit, man, I wish I had that match. That was <laughs> you know? It really was. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, years ago, I don't think that kind of stuff would have worked out too well because Sean and Taker didn't really see eye to eye, you know? Of course, yeah. The things obviously changed down the line, which is... Uh, yeah, yeah, the DX click, you know, with Razor and Kevin Nash and X-Pac. And then you had the BSK click with, you know, Yokozuno and Taker and yeah, all those cool dudes. But, too, man, there were, you know, there were a lot of cool guys on the BSK click. Crush, you had Crush on there, and, but they had some big boys on that BSK click. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you wouldn't want to mess with them. Uh, <laughs> the next question I had, Mike, was uh, it's about the referee bump. Uh, it's one of yeah. my favorite spots. Um, yeah. I don't know why, I just, it, it, it tickles me sometimes when, because obviously <laughs> it's like every time a referee is even slightly grazed by a wrestler, he is oh, yeah. out cold. It's yeah. for me, I just, I love it. But uh, can you tell me any stories about any bumps you've taken over the years? Some, maybe one that was like a little crazy that you might maybe got hurt or something maybe you weren't too uh, excited about doing. Um, there's, I mean, I really was never worried about ex- being excited about not doing the bump because even if I got hurt, you know, the wrestlers, what they do in the ring and what they do to give their bodies up to sell the show, to sell themselves, to make the show better. As a referee, you couldn't bitch about the one bump you had, you know, here and there. Yeah. So 
I mean, there's a lot of bumps where, I mean, I remember Shawn Michaels, you know, somebody drops down, I think it was Razor, dropped down, Shawn Michael comes over with the uh, flying form, but I didn't right. turn my thing all the way. I didn't <laughs> know the nose. Oh, shit. Uh, my teeth stuck in a Randy Orton's head one day before we were even to take the bump. My front teeth <laughs> gashed his head open. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of bumps, you know, with my knee, getting hurt, take uh, had a bad ACL for a while. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of bumps over the top ropes when you had to take it over the top rope. You're, you're worried about getting hurt, but you never could say you can't do it. You know, and there was a bump not too long ago. I did Shane and AJ Styles at WrestleMania when Shane came back. Very big match for uh, Shane. And I remember uh, I'm in the corner, in the corner, and I remember AJ says, I'm going to come around with this roundhouse kick and kick you right in the head. Boy, he got me right in the head. <laughs> I was like, I hope you don't knock me out because you just, you're just sitting there and you're just waiting for the kick. Man, it was a hell of a kick. Boom. It left big, yeah, like a br bruise right above my forehead. <laughs> took the skin right off. But I was like sitting there. I was on the end of the apron going, whoo, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Even AJ goes, God, brother, are you okay? I know I got you good. I'm sorry, man, you know. But, um, and they apologized for it. But, you know, there's a lot of bumps um, throughout the career that you just, you know, you get hurt. And you know, that's it. I mean, Undertaker, back in the day, I remember I had to take, he threw me over the top rope and Sean was supposed to catch me. <laughs> and, he, and I remember him saying, he goes, I hope he catches you. You know, it's not like, and he just tosses me. Sean turns back around. <laughs> I just go, wow. <laughs> and it's a pretty high, you know, it's pretty high when you got like almost seven foot taker, you know, standing in the ropes and you're, you're stretched above him and you get thrown over the top. It's pretty damn high, man. When you, you know, when you're up there, it's not as high as the steel cage with Shane McMahon and all that. Man, <laughs> yeah. Pretty high. Up there. Absolutely, and, uh, man. Um, yeah. And I, I think I, if any, I think if any referee in the history of wrestling ever enjoyed a particular bump more than any, I think it would be when Tim White would take that bump with the hose when he was dancing with them and he'd take the bump. And he'd oh, my them. God. He used to love doing those hose dance. That was his match. When Godfather was on, that was yeah. his match. And that's it. Uh, we used to have so much fun with that. I remember I would, back in the day when Godfather used to do live events, we'd be like, hey, we need some girls, man. So we used to run to a strip club. Yeah, go to the strip club and go. Hey, you guys want to make two hundred bucks real quick for you know a ten minute match or something like that? You know, or one hundred fifty bucks, two hundred bucks. They'd be like, sure. I'd have like five girls coming back to the arena. Got <laughs> <laughs> the hose, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's tremendous. That really that is. You can go to every town and every city and find your nearest strip club. You know, back in the day. Yeah, but, super yeah, cool and. When we had the Godfather on the show, I had to specifically ask him why was it always Tim White that got to to be the one that got covered in in uh, hot women? Why did no one else get a go? <laughs> but now we know. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was Tim's wife. He he always wanted those matches, man. So he's a veteran and he gets what he wants. <laughs> Good for him. He looked after Andre all those years. He deserves yeah, to be covered in women. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Mike, one thing that I noticed about you over the years is when there would be a two count, it was always two. Yeah. Yeah. What, what led to you, instead of doing two, 
What is well, this? Are you trying to tell everyone that you like rock and roll? Yeah, I mean, either that man, and you know, it was just to change it up a little bit. That's all it was. Because, see, that's and that's the thing. I go back to when you look at all the referees. You take a little bit from this referee. You take a little bit from that referee. And you liked what he did, but then everybody was always doing two, two, yeah, two. You know, so I'm like, damn, you know, I, I got to change that up. Maybe I'm just going to do two like this. You know, because growing up in baseball. You know, when I was a shortstop, you'd be like this to the outfield. Two outs, two outs. All right. Three outs in an inning. Just to let you know your outfield, you always had two outs, you know? So, and so I just made that transition in doing that. That's all. And, then, you know, I always like to come up and like on a one, two and real close false finish, come up and make it, you know, interesting and make it exciting too. Um, I just wouldn't go, oh, two. You know, like <laughs> I really like get into it. And that's even with starting, if you ever noticed, uh, when I used to ring the bell in the beginning of a match, I used to really like just, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Well, you know, some guys go, ring the bell. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't stand that, you know? And it's like, <laughs> Vince and Kevin Dunn love how you'd have a title match energized and it's the crowd's getting into it get into it and I'm like asking this guy Cena or whatever in the corner you, you ready are you ready I'd go back to the other are you ready you ready and I turn around ring the bell you know like because it would just it would it build up to the beginning of a match you know it's just I just don't want to stand there and go ring the bell yeah <laughs> so, definitely you know, and, and I noticed yeah. those nuances that you would put in over the years um yeah. like just that like yeah. that yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. you had your signature things. So I thought it was important to bring up the two because yeah. uh, I always noticed it, even from, you know, back when I first started watching wrestling in 1998. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> um, show. No, I couldn't. I, w I wouldn't have been able to afford it back then. Um, but yeah, I would have loved to. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cool. That is awesome, That's man. Yeah, let's see. Hold up. Yeah, that's the Global Warming Tour of Melbourne right there. Yeah, cool. Got that chair, man. Yeah, Still we were, we were all very excited, even if we weren't going to be going over to Melbourne to see. We were excited that WWE going to be in Australia, and it was only a uh, maybe a year or a few short years later before finally uh, uh, the WWE came to Perth, which let's was exciting. A quick story. We partied so much, and after we. <laughs> casino i think it was called the casino it was a hotel everything in one you know casino and everything we, and we were there for a week well that was the wrong thing the company knew they did because everybody partied so much by the time we got to that show at fifty six thousand people i thought we had the shittiest show ever everybody did so tired partied out <laughs> ecstasy this <laughs> i remember going to the bars and then they were closing at like six or eight in the morning. We were coming out. And I was like, the first time I came out was sunny and bright. And I was like, I was like Dracula. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> These bars stay open this late. And they're staying open until 10 in the morning, until mid and noon or something. It's still going. <laughs> yeah. so I was like, I got smartened up. So I used to take my sunglasses with me <laughs> to all, all the clubs. I'd come out at 10 in the morning. Yeah, I got you now. <laughs> 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 but yeah it's amazing times man melbourne was a fun time uh we had a lot of fun man in that, in that casino hotel all week before that show and then we had a big show in 
think that's what really kicked off Australia. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's thank you for sharing that. That's really cool to know that, uh, how much partying was going on back then. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, 30 plus years on the road, Mike. Uh, <clears throat> who did you enjoy traveling on the road with most if you weren't driving the truck? And uh, do you have any scary stories of, of near misses on the road? Surely, 30 plus years, there must have been an occasion or two where you know, things might've been a little hairy. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Ray Mysterio was one of my great, you know, great friends. He's an awesome friend. I traveled with him a lot on the road. Our truth, Umanga test back in the day. Um, Joey Morello way back in the day. Um, traveled so many, so many guys. And unfortunately there's a lot of guys I, I could bring up that I traveled with that, that aren't even with us anymore. Um, God bless them. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys passed away at an early age. And, uh, you know, I, I used to travel with Snitsky a lot. I still talk to Snitsky. He's living in Pennsylvania, you know, looking like a caveman. <laughs> and, uh, still great, big boy. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, I miss traveling with, you know, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, unfortunately now I just see him here and there. Jack Swagger, known as Jay Kager, I used to yeah. travel with him. And he went over to AEW and he actually only lives 20, 30 minutes from me. So it's good. And I get to see him once in a while. And, um, you know, it's just uh, the mishaps on the road, um, getting locked up in Des Moines, Iowa one time. And I couldn't make the German tour. I almost lost <laughs> a job there. So, you know, got in a fight in a bar, me and a couple guys. Um, we got locked up, of course, because we were out of staters. You know, we were living in New Jersey and, I knew how, you know, so we had our WWF television network jackets on or something. And, you know, we were coming into these guys' bar and, you know, they were just, you know, we were talking to some of the girls and they were getting a little hot. We were getting a lot of attention. And next thing you know, we're fighting outside the club and stuff and hang up some cab and cops come. And as soon as they seen our driver's license from New Jersey, they said, oh, you're going to jail. You owe $1,500 for this cab. I said, what? I said, you're a police officer at night and you do body estimates on a day or that's enough. <laughs> up, 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 click, click. <laughs> I was like, how did you know it was just 1500 bucks right away? Like, you know, <laughs> so we're in court the next, I got it. I was in there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I couldn't see the judge till Monday. And uh, see, I thought I almost lost my job because I was supposed to leave for Germany on Sunday. Right. After the Moines. And, uh, so, you know, fortunately I kept my job and then uh, I seen Justice T. Buford for, you know, the judge and I had to pay 1500 bucks with a cab. <laughs> and my buddies had to pay some more money. So I got out on Monday and then uh, that, was a, that, was a, that was a mishap. Uh, spent the weekend in jail. And then, uh, I mean, it was just a lot, you know, a lot of times uh, I could say one thing, we never missed a ring crew spot. Tony and Jim and I, we never missed a ring crew. But, um, if shows got canceled, if we were stuck in a snowstorm, that was one thing. But we never canceled the show in 22 years of doing ring crew, Tony, Jim and I together, uh, missing a show or breaking down. Anytime we broke down, the engine broke down, we either had to switch trucks into a rental or get that truck fixed right away and get going still. But that's one thing that we put under our belts. We never missed a... Uh, Ring crew job. Um, 
scary flights, South huh. Africa, 96, two oh, engines. Gosh. So we just took off out of uh, JFK, uh, not even 10 minutes and two engines blew. So they said we could make it with the other two engines, but they didn't know if the other one engine was gonna blow or not. So they had to re release the fuel for about two hours before they can even land the plane because it had too much fuel back in New York. And then when we looked down, it was all these ambulances and, and everything. So we were sitting there and, and Ian Chimmel write notes and put them in our briefcase because we could make, you know, no phone calls or nothing like that. We had pages back then. Um, so we actually thought that was a, that was a flight that was, we were, you know, we were thinking, God, after 10, 11 years on the road, Tim, you think this is the flight? And he's like, don't fucking say that. You know, like, <laughs> flight attendants running around scared. We yeah. see all the fire trucks, but they landed it safe and we got to South Africa the next day. Um, there's one wow. more flight uh, going to Japan and we had to land in Russia in a, in a broke down naval base in a, in a snowstorm. And if we didn't land third time, we tried to land twice and we couldn't because the winds were too strong, kept blowing the plane off the runway. And all we kept on is just, we're landing, as we're landing, we are seeing all these broken down MiGs and MiG fighters and tanks and stuff. And I'm like, where, where fuck are we landing? You know, like, so we landed in some old broke down naval base in Russia. <laughs> uh, so the third time we were on a charter flight with a retired pilot, so and their pilots were fighting because they couldn't understand it. They were over the intercom. Everybody's on a big show, and all, and you thought, you know, you'd be screaming or this and that. You don't hear a fucking peep. People, your ass is so puckered up, you don't even say nothing. <laughs> all you heard was the pilots arguing because they're trying to get communication from the Russians in this tower, and they couldn't speak good English, you know. So, because it was like the last minute thing, we weren't. Yeah. So we did, we've made it finally after the third time. And he said, if we didn't land a third time, we'd have been dead because we didn't have enough fuel. So, so we, we were caught in this big snowstorm. So we get off the plane, me and Big Show. We're like, yo, man, we just want a cigarette, have a cigarette somewhere, you know? <laughs> and the guy goes, Russian dude, military dudes, he go, right here. We're like, well, we're fueling up the plane. You smoke right here, give me your passport. And I'm like, what the fuck? He was like, you know, he's like, passport now. You smoke right here. And we're like, can't we go like 20 feet from the plane? You know, or something. Yeah. <laughs> I said, okay, fine. I said, we didn't blow up in the crash. We're going to blow up now, show said. But there's some scary times. A lot more than that, though. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That I was on the edge of my seat there. Uh, <laughs> uh, getting back to being in the ring, what is the strangest thing or, or the, you know, the, the craziest thing that you've had said to you in your earpiece during a match? Um, in the earpiece, uh, probably either switching a match at some point, you know, which I'm thinking, oh shit, this guy's not going to like this. This talent's not going to like that, you know, or, but Billy Kidman, a lot of people um, used to curse a lot, you know, tell that, you know, and this was coming from Vince because Vince would be cursing at Billy and the <laughs> agent. So Billy would pass it on to me 
sometimes they'd be talking so much. I used to take that fucking earpiece and throw it out of my ear because I couldn't focus on the match. Yeah. My job spots and my bump or a finish. You got these guys bickering in the ear. Get him the fucking cell. Get him to fucking do this. Get him this. Yeah, fuck that. Everything was fuck this, fuck that. You know, like, you know, like sometimes I couldn't, you know, and then you had Jamie Noble or and Billy Kidman at the same time screaming in the ear. Cause he Vince would be screaming at them to tell me to tell the boys something else. But I've heard a lot of crazy, a lot of cursing goes on in that earpiece, you know. <laughs> um uh just um you know things. Uh, it's always what I'm, I was always tired of hearing tell the guys to grab a hold, grab a hold. Like every match had to grab a hold, you know. Like, I get the hold sometimes, but you know, it's just uh, it's just a little bit too much. But you know, anything is just a lot of cursing on it. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> but things get really stressful. Like, and that's where I felt like I used to do my job when we didn't get the finish you know, at Raw and live TV or pay-per-views when they were pay-per-views and not the network. You know, there was a very stressful time. You had to hit your time, mm. you know, 11.05 or 11 o'clock at night and going off the air at the pay-per-view because it would cost you so much more money if you extended your time with that TV show. So with a cable network, and uh, I used to always hit my times, hit the cues and the get that job done. So if I'm doing my job in there, relaying the message to the boys, when we got 30 seconds, we got 15 fucking seconds, we got, we got to go, got to go. And a lot of times you think I'm yelling at the wrestlers, but I'm telling them, we got to fucking go home now. We got 30 seconds. And you think I'm, you know, I'm acting like I'm yelling at them or scolding them or something. You know, I'm actually passing other things on to them. So. Right. Nice. Um, all right, well, I'll move on a little bit further here. We haven't got too many questions left, Mike. Uh, I just I wanted to ask you, what, what is your favorite era of wrestling that you you know were a part of as a referee? I got to say the Attitude Era. Attitude Era. I mean, you had Stone Cold Steve Boston, and you had DX. You know, you had China, right? There you go. You, <laughs> um, you know, you had a Grazer Ramon in that area. You just... Uh, had a lot of good good talent, man, in the rock. And, you know, you still, I mean, it's just, it, the Attitude Era, I think, was probably one of the best eras. You know, you had Bret Hart. Unfortunately, he left that before that era, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, he had a lot of super talent, man. Stone Cold, the rock, and DX, and Undertaker. And it was just, uh, that was the best era for me. You know, um, I have to say, uh, yeah. The attitude era. <laughs> Absolutely, bro. It's my favorite too. It's my favorite yeah. too. But, um, so, I mean, you know, and I got some uh, turnbuckles up from the attitude era and from the old oh, school. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. Um, got some old school there. I just sold, sold actually two of them old school two turnbuckles from WrestleMania 4 and 5. Really? Yeah, so I had, and that, this collector got 1500 bucks. I was like, 1500 bucks Because he's seen a couple of them I had on it podcast oh really <laughs> yeah now this treasure show is going wild you know <laughs> so i'm like shit i should have held on to these turnbuckles man. <laughs> for it maybe you don't see that on A&E? yeah i have i've seen every episode yeah 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 so i mean look at rick flair's getting for his for his robes and stuff i now. know right 
they could get for ring skirts and for jackets. It's like, holy shit, you know? But yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I, I have to definitely go with the Attitude Era, man. Excellent. That's my favorite as well, because that's what I fell in love with. It's how I fell in love with it, it was because of the Attitude Era. Um, so moving on from there, Mike, I wanted to ask you, what is next for Mike Kyoda? Uh, do you want to ever do it full time again? Is, is there something else in life that you'd like to do? You yeah. know? I mean, I've traveled over 60 different countries and a lot of countries over and over and over. Um, it was beautiful to travel. I'd like to travel a little bit more in my lifetime now coming up and enjoy the times and, and spend a week in Australia. Like that's our, that's my next bucket list to take my wife is Australia. I've taken her to London, Japan, here, there, there, about 15 different countries. Um, but the bucket list is definitely Australia for her, you know, for me, for her. So, and, you know, I just want to do that, but I, I want to work part-time. I don't want to work full-time anymore. You know, I don't want to go traveling. You know, if I had to do it, you know, and which everybody's schedule was kind of getting lighter anyway, because they were talking about knocking live events down before COVID. Yeah. They were talking really cutting live events down, shortening them down. Because we were doing too many of them, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then the boys going to TV, tired, exhausted already from the weekend. You know, save it for the long tours for Europe or, you know, you know, whatever. Um, you know, um, I worked with a little bit with AEW. But right now I'm in the process of working with LAWE, Latin American Wrestling Entertainment, and that's with the Colones in Puerto Rico. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so Eddie Colon and Orlando Colon, Primo and Epico, uh, they're starting a new company in Puerto Rico. So there's a lot of generations. Carlito is going to be in it, uh, Andrade, and a lot of good other talent that's, that's coming aboard. And uh, I'm going to be training referees, doing main event matches. And uh, and just uh, revamping and doing a lot of production stuff and sitting revamping the ring and stuff like that and getting ready for TV and hopefully TV kicks off there in October. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, I'll make sure that here on YouTube down there in the description, everyone, that you can check out what Mike's talking about there. Uh, before I get to my final segment, five second frenzy, Mike. Uh, one last question. How do you hope Mike Kyoto is remembered for his time in the wrestling business? Man, that's a good question. Um, just, just a guy that went in there and did his job. And, you know, I wasn't in business for myself. You know, I never tried to put myself over as a referee or anything like that. I just went in and I did my job and I did the best I could. And, you know, sometimes when a referee is too noticeable in a ring and you're making too many gestures and doing all this stuff, you're putting too much attention to yourself. You know, when you're selling every bump and you're, oh, 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 oh you know, like, <laughs> and, you're, and you're doing all this, you know, whatever. It's just sometimes, you know, yeah, it's time to sell a bump, sell things. But I just want to be remembered as somebody that did my job and, you know, um, and did it right, you know. And uh, and I do appreciate a lot of the fans in Australia, around the world, and they've given me much love and much respect, you know, from just doing my job and really appreciated that, you know. And uh, I'm just, uh, I am happy I'm not the referee like Earl Hebner was in the screw job because I think that would have haunted <laughs> the rest of my career. Yeah. Um, so it was just happy I wasn't in that, in that spot, in that situation. Mm. 
Brett was a good friend of mine and Sean was too, but I mean, you know, Brett was real good. I just, I would hate to do that to somebody. And I think that would have follows kind of Earl Hebner a little bit throughout his career too. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just somebody that, you know, did my job and and entertained the people and then did the best I could. Absolutely. And you, and you did do that. That's what you did achieve. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm proud to have had you on the show here today, uh, to have the opportunity to have a chin wag with you. And Mike, at this time, it brings us to five second frenzy. You have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you don't do it in five seconds, it's okay. You won't get in any trouble. Uh, <laughs> quick fire questions, quick fire answers. Mike Kyoto, the first question, who is your favorite wrestler? Probably have to say The Rock. Excellent. Now, usually this question is your favorite opponent, uh, but you only had one match uh, and right. you won it and you're still undefeated. But <laughs> <laughs> who is your favorite wrestler to referee for? Mm. Probably have to say uh, Shawn Michaels. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I know this is a tough one, but if you had to pick one match as your favorite match that you ever witnessed, whether you were in the ring or whether you just saw it on the TV, what is your favorite wrestling match? Man, the godfather of wrestling, man. Uh, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, even though I wasn't in that match. But yeah, I wish I could have done that first match between them. Absolutely. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely, bro. Uh, finally getting away from wrestling here, Mike. Favorite book? Favorite book? Probably, um, I'd have to say Game of Thrones. Very nice. Yeah, Game of Thrones was my favorite book and actually my favorite movie. <laughs> I mean, besides Gladiator back in the day, but... Game of Thrones is awesome, that series, man. So that's your favorite TV show as well, then? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Game of Thrones was awesome. Excellent, excellent. Well, that was the next one, favorite TV show. So favorite film, what's your favorite movie? Gladiator. Gladiator is the favorite film, favorite TV show is Game of Thrones. Gotcha. Yes. Okay, cool. Moving yes. forward, favorite musical artist or band? Oof. Um... Robert Plant, Led Zeppelin. Oh, dude, yeah. I was in Birmingham, England, man, way back in the day, in the late 80s, bro. Wow. I have to say Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin's my favorite band, but it had a lot more. Um, actually did not get to see Led Zeppelin when I was younger. I was born in 66, but I did see Robert Plant solo. Um, I did see Live Aid, but I didn't see the full band with John Bonham. Uh Led Zeppelin is one of my favorite. Jim Morrison actually is one of my oh, favorite. Oh, bro. Yeah. You're speaking oh, my language fun. there, bro. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I love Jim it. Morrison, my favorite, too. Excellent. Excellent. I had the chance to see Robert Plant about four years ago. So, um, oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, I was very lucky. Did he play a lot of old school shit too? Did he? I heard he mixes it up a little bit now. He, he played more Zeppelin than I thought he was going to. Really? So cool. yeah, I thought he might only play like three, but I think he played like six or seven Zeppelin songs. So I was like pretty happy about it. Yeah, it's about forty-five minutes of good, you know? Awesome. 
Absolutely. I kind of feel like Unless some of these artists, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not that one, but yeah, I kind right. of feel like sometimes these uh, musicians, when they come to Perth, because we're so isolated and we don't get a lot very often, they'll, they'll go a little bit of the extra mile. Like when Prince came here, he actually passed away a couple months after he performed here in Perth, but wow. Prince played so many songs that he doesn't usually play live. So yeah, I think right. we, we got a treat there as well. But anyway, yeah. Enough about me and my experiences. Uh, no, I'd like to hear it. <laughs> cool, bro. Uh, favorite food? Man, oof. I'm Italian, Polish, Lithuanian. I love my Italian food, but I got to say, man, Korean barbecue gets me a lot, man, in Japan. <laughs> I love Korean barbecue, man. Very um, nice. Kick the meats and the chicken and steak and all that, but well, I'd have to say Italian food is my favorite food. Excellent, excellent. Uh, obviously, you traveled many miles. What's your favorite place to eat on the road, Mike? Uh, favorite place to eat would probably be Japan. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, that's one of my favorite places. Yeah, Japan. Very nice. Uh, third last one, Mike. Favorite alcoholic beverage? Oof, a proper Stella, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Alcoholic beverage, no, I like a nice stiff vodka with a little splash of club soda and a splash of crayon just to put a little color into it. That's it. Very but, nice. Uh, I'm a vodka drinker. Mm -hmm. Nice, very classy. Okay, Mike, the second last one. Favorite female body part. You're going to check out a lady. What's what, where, where do your eyes go to first? Man, it's the ass. It's the ass. <laughs> yeah, I'm an ass guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm down with that for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and too much working up top man with the boobies i believe that was the same answer that chuck palumbo had as well uh, <laughs> man, I hope and, he's doing well man Damn, he's, he's doing chuck fantastic actually awesome. he's uh he's killing it um and the last one on five second frenzy mike kyoto what is your favorite curse word i'd have to say fuck <laughs> yeah. the number one answer you know, that's it. That's probably the number one. You know, yep. that's where I grew up listening in the household. <laughs> <laughs> See, if this if this was Family Feud, this would be the number one answer. Fuck. That's it. Right. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Mike Kyoto, wow. I just want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak to me here today on the number one wrestling podcast in the Southern Hemisphere. I don't care. I have to be number one. I'm sure I'm doing better than someone in the Philippines. I have to be yeah. the number one. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for your time. And I have to tell you, and this is what I do this at the end of every interview, but I have to do this because what a lot of, uh, you know, the performers in the professional wrestling business have done for me, you know, uh, is inspire me. And I just want to always let everyone know that, everything that they've done in the wrestling business, everything they've achieved in life, I appreciate it. And I want to tell you that you should be so proud of everything that you accomplished in your life, sir. And thank you again for the, being here on the yeah. show. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, Carl. Hopefully we'll be able to get through it again, man, sometime down the road. Absolutely, brother. No problem, right. my friend. And uh, so thank you again, Mike.
you got, man. Thanks for all the Australian fans and, and your time and everything. And miss you guys. And hopefully to be out in Australia sometime soon. Excellent, bro. I'll cook you a nice Aussie barbecue. Oh, appreciate it. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Mike Kyoto. And thank you, everyone, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California brew with my new friend, my brother here, Mike Kyoto, and we will see you all next time. Thank you. <laughs>